Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. On X Hunt Elite is worth every penny. It really is. Every hunt, every planning session, every gear purchase, I was on it already today. With your Elite membership, you will get application and draw odd tools, exclusive pro deals on gear from the industry's best, exclusive mapping and scouting tools, and last but not least, access to nationwide coverage. And now Canada. Onyx Hunt Elite will make you more successful on your next hunt. Try Onyx Hunt free for seven days or go to onyxmaps.com slash hunt and use code MEATEATER for 20% off your new Elite membership. Decked Drawer Systems. I've always loved Decked, as is, but it's even better now because they just redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. They got the Deco case line. These cases are as tough, if not tougher, than Pelican case or Go boxes. Totally waterproof and dustproof. You can literally run over them in your truck and they will be fine. High quality latches and handles make them really easy to use. They look great. They are made in the USA. To check it out, go to decked.com slash meat eater. Get yourself free shipping. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. Meat Hunt, the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. So we're out in the woods, kind of. In your uh, classic, like, close to town, down by the river, people walking dogs, beer cans laying here and there, down by the river spot. Someone running some kind of... Hey, what is he doing? Like that kind of spot. Some guy driving some screws into something down there. Building a stand. Unclear if he's on his own land or not. Uh, And we're in what, what I would regard as the foraging off season and our, our, our with Brody Henderson and, and chef Michael Hunter I don't know if you disagree or agree with foraging off season but by that I mean um, folks that like to I find that your general folks that like to hunt and fish a lot have a couple wild edibles they know about the number one being morels I would agree so <laughs> in the springular for morels yeah. and then that ends and then you kind of act like there's nothing to do <laughs> until you can maybe go pick a berry in the fall. <laughs> and that's like the season. Yep. So I would put this firmly in the off season, meaning the berries aren't ready yep. and the morels are gone. The morels are gone. All like the, the prime edibles, I would say, are gone. Easily uh, identifiable. Easily identifiable. Uh, but there's a whole slew of herbs and little plants that are not really, you know, choice, but they're still kind of fun to look for. And do you... Uh, 
tell people just up front. We'll get into this in greater detail later, but tell people up front like about your restaurant and what your like your your food philosophy. So my restaurant, the name of my restaurant is Antler, um, and we just want to incorporate all things wild into our menu as much as we can. So we rely heavily on foragers um, that that sell us wild mushrooms, uh, wild plants. Uh, we do a little bit of foraging ourselves. Um, we only sell wild sustainably caught fish and uh, we sell farmed game meat just because we can't sell actual wild game meat. So we just want to embrace, you know, the outdoors and share that with our customers. So that rule is the same as it is in the U.S. and Canada? Except as far for as Newfoundland where they get a little leeway and they're actually allowed to sell wild game. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Can you buy it from them? Yep. You, well, I think you can, it's dine-in. I don't know if you can gotcha. actually purchase a steak to take it home. Um, but, and I think it's only certain animals, moose, uh, I don't know what else they're allowed to do, some ducks and pheasant, upland birds and stuff, but the big one is moose. They they have more moose than people in their province. So gotcha. <laughs> it was, and I think it was, it was allowed through tourism. It was, it was one of the... Um, sort of pushes to to get people to go to Newfoundland. Got you. When you walk out... Dude, I gotta know <laughs> what that dude's doing. When you walk out... Uh... Yeah, is he putting up a tree? No. <laughs> when you walk out this time of year... Like, like hey, you're at a disadvantage because you're from couple thousand miles away from yeah here. so this is not so like when you typical... look are you like oh yeah i'm gonna tear this place a new one or no, you're like i don't know what we're uh, gonna find i have no idea what we're gonna find okay and you saw some dandelion I, we saw some dandelion which is omnipresent uh, so right now like back home when i'm you know walking my dog or taking a hike or fishing along the creeks uh i'll find stinging nettle which is incredibly high in iron no yep. so a lot of people make stinging nettle tea a lot of people put it in pastas um you can make a soup with it um, so that's a really neat one. It's really neutral, kind of like spinach. It doesn't have a lot of flavor, but it's, it has more iron than spinach. I think it's more iron than any plant. Is that right? It's a stinging nettle. Um, so that's a neat one. It's got more thorns than any plant, It too. does. So yeah, yeah, gloves, like, must. <laughs> um, and so stinging nettle, watercress along the creeks is kind of neat. Um, and it's really spicy. Look, the leaves are smaller than the stuff you can buy in the store. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and it's really, really hot and spicy. Wild ginger is out right now. That's a really neat one. Um, it's not actually in the ginger family, but it just tastes like ginger. Um, and it's a root that you kind of have, there's these heart-shaped leaves everywhere and you got to dig it up. Um, and it has, has more of like a floral, flowery taste, but it still has that ginger heat. Um, and we use that in ice creams um, and desserts. Oh, really? But you can okay. also make just teas with it. Um, but that's a neat one. Um, what else we got? Um, sumac, staghorn sumac. Um, it's different than Middle Eastern sumac, but still has that lemony uh, yeah. taste to it. So that that's sort of almost all year. I think summer's sort of the best time to pick it because then into the fall and spring, um, it's kind of eaten and chewed up by bugs and worms and stuff like that. Um, that's one of the things we have here is, and you might still find it now, but it's getting a little bit late, is oyster yeah. mushrooms. Yep. Which get ripped up by worms. Yeah. And then the, the dried yeah. saddle. Yep. Pheasant backs are some yeah, of my favorite. Which gets wormed up. Yeah. But we saw dandelion, there's mint, wild onion. We'll just have to look around. Yeah. I've never actually looked in this spot. Yeah, cool. So well, we'll see. Let's see what we can find. What'd you find? Some mushrooms. Some LDMs. <laughs> Little brown mushrooms. There's a neat one that's called um, 
shaggy manes. Oh yeah, we have those. Yeah, so those are those are like golf course mushrooms. They're just randomly around. Those are those are super tasty. Oh, what about But those that? aren't shaggy oh, manes. No, no I thought maybe they were because they're oh, starting to curl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, we get shaggy manes. We yeah. get those a little bit later. Yeah. Always in disturbed places. What? Like packed down those, ground and yeah, shit. Yeah, I find those just in grassy fields, people's backyards in the yep. city and stuff. It's really funny. Inky caps. Yeah. This right. is wild rose. Oh, cool. But doesn't have a, so when it, later this will have a hip on Yeah, 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 neat. We're, right now we're doing a rose hip ice cream. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh, okay. So we don't have a patio, so our restaurant's still closed. So we're uh, we're doing all things takeaway, so we're doing a line of wild ice creams right now. Oh, look, yeah, cool. yeah, so we're doing a rose hip. We're doing a wild mint and chip, chocolate chip. Um, a wild blueberry, and then a strawberry wild ginger. You ever hear, is there anything to do with horsetail? I've never heard anybody eating horsetail. Um, Scouring rush? I don't know. I've never heard of it. We have horse. I've heard of horsetail, but it looks different than that. Yeah, we have a handful of kinds. This kind they call scouring rush. It's good for scrubbing pots. So I think the horsetail I'm thinking of, it looks almost like asparagus. And I've, I've heard you can like pickle that. There is a stream here, very near here, that has watercress, but it's a private property place. We caught right. some. We tried to catch a beaver for a guy, never caught it. Yeah, like you know even all, all this uh, yep. that had watercress in it. Yeah. All this dandelion would actually be good unless you're worried about people's dogs. But, no, um, shit, I don't care about people's dogs. Because they don't have, uh, there's no flowers on them. So before they flower, they're not as bitter. Oh, I think you're post flower for here. Oh, really? These are already flowered. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, they flower early here. So, Michael, do you ever eat, um, you know, like dandelion's an interesting one because yep. everybody has it. Everybody's yeah. sort of kind of aware yeah. that you can eat it, but why is it not more popular? That's a horsetail too. Yes, so that's the ones that we I see more of back yeah. home, stuff like this. And the Cretaceous, these were 80 feet tall. I'm not saying wow. this was, but yeah. this is an ancient kind of tree. Neat. I yeah. did not know that. 80 footers, man. That's crazy. Dinosaurs gnawing on them. So, uh, anyways, dandelions. Like, why? Dandelions. How come they never took off? Maybe because it's just too common. They're in everyone's backyard. Um, no good. It's also yeah, yeah, it's not exciting. I think um, unless you like that bitter kind of rapini flavor, it's not really your thing. So they're better. You're saying that before they flower, they're less bitter. They're less bitter before they flower. I didn't know that. Uh, marsh marigold's another one that's really neat. Um, it grows in swampy creek kind of stuff, um, and it's really bitter, like like rapini as well. But that one you have to actually blanch. Um, it's not, it's not, you're not supposed to do it raw. Yeah, that is a bitter green, man. Yeah. I'm gonna try it before it flowers. Some of last year's rose hips. Yeah, there's wild rose. So how do you, uh, when you do rose hips like that, what do you do with them? So we'll, we'll uh, simmer them with the custard. So we'll, we'll simmer them with the milk and the sugar, uh -huh. and then whisk them into the eggs, and then we'll let them kind of soak in the custard, and then puree it and strain out the seeds. I was in Argentina, and they, uh, had jars of jam that they were making from rose hip. Oh, cool, yeah. But it just seemed like a painstaking process <laughs> to get all that. Those like what, seeds? seeds oh, yeah, seeds. Those, but they got all yeah. that outer shell off. Yeah. yeah. Someone must have just spent hours at yeah. it, you know? Yeah, I like to like boil them and then like crush them up or put them in a blender and then just strain out those. In September, out. you'll find yeah. grouse that with their crops just full of those rose hips. And the seeds are like stones. Like they're not even, yeah. you can't even chew on them. See, this right here would be a uh, good moral spot. Yeah. Like, 
big cottonwood these aren't big but cottonwoods especially yeah. damaged cottonwoods down stumps they, it's not a hard and fast rule but there's typically grass yeah you know just be like a kind of shady kind of yeah a little bit of sunlight yep mixed i would sniff around in there for sure if i was looking for them one of the guys that i was working for came in off his mountain bike because we used to, this restaurant i worked at was across the street from a huge provincial park uh-huh and he came in with a handful of mushrooms and said here check these out and i was i was 17 or 18 at the time and i was just like totally fascinated by oh like you can actually go into the wild and pick stuff you know <laughs> like and then uh he told me sort of where to find them and i went across the road on my lunch break and came home with three pounds of uh black oh seriously milk. yeah it was it was it was I'm awesome then we came and we sold them uh we featured them for dinner that night no shit. It was really, really cool, yeah. And those those are neat because those are black morels and yep. they grow, um, I found them on this like cedar hillside, just like kind of sandy, mossy soil. Um, and they were just everywhere. They're really neat. Yeah, when I was reading your bio with your cookbook that's coming out, uh, I didn't realize how early you got started cooking. Yeah, it was really bizarre. I, um, I was a 13-year-old kid and I wanted to uh, make some pocket change to buy skateboards and uh, stupid t-shirts that said uh, profanity and stuff my mom wouldn't let me buy and uh, I just wanted my own money so I, I wound up I rode my bike to this local gas station I applied to pump gas and the guy said he didn't need any help at the gas station but he needed help at the diner so that's <laughs> like, just, okay I'll yeah, become a lifelong I'm chef <laughs> I'm in you know and it was uh, so I you know started washing dishes I would fry the hash browns and butter toast and it was one of those like greasy spoon diners with a lineup out the door on the weekends and uh yeah, I would bike there at 6.30 in the morning on weekends as a kid. And it was just uh, one of those things I just, I cooked at home a little bit. Um, I grew up single mom, so my mom would work late. And she would call me and tell me how to start the chicken uh -huh. and stuff like that. So I just, I already knew a little bit about cooking. And I, I loved, as a kid, I was like always hungry, always like just into food. We'd go to a, a party and there'd be like oysters or lobster and just things. And I wanted to try new stuff. So food was always a really big thing for me as a kid. Um, and then it just stuck. I, I, I worked at a golf course in the summers and all through high school. Um, and then when the golf course would close in the winter, I wound up working at this little kind of fine dining country inn. And that's where, um, was like my first real culinary mentor yeah. to say. And then, you know, he, we, we made everything from scratch. So we'd make bread, we'd make pasta, we'd make all the, you know, in-house charcuteries and salamis and stuff like that. Um, and that was the, the fascinating thing for me was the pressure preservation stuff so how people would survive before they had a fridge yeah. you know and like there's all this trendy charcuterie stuff people are doing but it's really just old school like it's not and it's nothing new mm -hmm. you know same with hunting and fishing and foraging like it's it's not new you know what we're doing it's yeah. it's it's just forgotten about that's the interesting about charcuterie is that now a lot of it seems like all these extra weird things you're doing to end at a product yeah and you lose sight of the fact that, like, well, no, this is all, like, shit people came up with, so stuff didn't rot. Yeah, to survive. Like, confit, <laughs> yeah, you know, so now, yeah, 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 like, exactly. to make a batch of confit and then turn around and eat it that night, yeah. people would probably have been like, no, 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 Way no. too much work. Yeah. No, that's, like, for way later, yeah, man, yeah, when there's yeah. nothing to eat, we'll yeah. eat that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, we're not that's eating that shit winter, tonight. Man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. Yeah, I always catch myself doing that, man. Is, yeah. uh, and, and I have a thing, too, like... Uh, just for instance, the other day we caught some lake trout. Yeah. And I usually have a thing where um, first in, first out 
freezer, yeah. In the for freezer management. But so we like I come home with these lake trout fillets. Yeah. Like, oh I'm gonna freeze them. Yeah. I'm like, well hold it. Like like so I'm gonna put this in the freezer and take some other shit out of the freezer <laughs> and eat that to reinforce my policy or would I just eat the damn fish? It's yeah, like, yeah. here, right now. Let's just eat the fish. Well, it's like, certain well, kinds of fish better. don't even they don't freeze, freeze well. well. I don't, but I like, literally caught myself yeah. in the freezer door going yeah. like, put this, I'm like, this is the stupidest thing yeah. I've ever done, eat this man. now, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I'm gonna save this for later, yeah. you know? I just, heard, that him, yep, yeah. just heard him crowing. Neat. Um, then we did, we get, uh, uh, a very short woodcock migration. Oh, you do? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I'm, that's the thing I missed from growing up. Is we didn't put a ton of attention into it, but we would get them. They're tasty little birds. Yeah, they're and cool. the whole. Uh, do you know do you, cooking them with the guts? Yeah. Do you, yeah. Did you do that? I've I never did. done that. I did. I was. Why do uh, people like to eat woodcock guts? So I think it's just. The fact that it's, I think it's one of the only birds, every time they fly, they, they drop their bowels. Yeah. So there's no actual shit in their intestines. And I think it's just, it has that like kind of depth of flavor. It's just different. Did you, did you um, enjoy it? I thought it was interesting. I don't know if I would really do it all the time, but it was, it's sort of like a delicacy. Do like they flush it? Foie gras. Cause he just, they just eat worms, man. Yeah. In old cookbooks, you'd read about eating the guts on woodcocks, but I never knew what, the, I couldn't even picture what they're yeah. talking about. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, uh, you know, how they discovered that, um, but it's just—it's one of those like sort of European delicacy mm -hmm. kind of things. You guys call them timber doodles where you are? No, I never heard that. You ever see <laughs> their? You ever see their flight? Their mating flight? No. Oh, well, I know they—they're hard to shoot. Like they're. No, they go. They go way up in the air. Oh, okay. Woo! Like crazy no, noises. Oh, it's incredible. That's neat. It's incredible. That's we would really get cool. them, and they would just come through very briefly. But now and then yeah, you get like into shitloads of them, man. You'd walk yeah. into a little kind of like wet, yeah. asp in the area. Yeah. And just be like bombing yeah, out. Yeah, you hit the migration. Yeah, then you go back a week yeah. later, like, no, nah, yeah. I'm going to get them. They're all yeah, gone. They're all gone. Yeah. Yeah. I remember eating my first Funny one and being like, holy cow, that tastes like liver. You know, I was yeah, like I 12 years old. Taste, yeah, man. It is now not, I think I'd appreciate it more. But it's back not then, a good one for introducing people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're funky. Would you get them in the funk? Growing up? Yeah. Yeah. And you, were you in Michigan as well? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Northwestern Pennsylvania near Lake Erie. I actually just Googled because I wanted to see how far it was. And it's it's only like three and a half hours to drive from Toronto to D Detroit. Which is kind of neat. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I guess I knew that. Yeah. 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 Usually like I'm more I drive to the States more through Buffalo. Um, and even the, the border for me is only an hour and a half. We used to drive Buffalo. up to Toronto because you could drink there when you're yeah. eighteen. Yeah. I drank <laughs> I drank <laughs> underage in a Canada bar. Yeah. <laughs> Really 17. Going, yeah. That's Maybe. early. Funny. Yeah. I wouldn't let my kids do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I lived, the reason I knew that when I said I knew that is I lived in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, Michigan. Okay. Which is sister yeah, cities yeah. of Sioux, Ontario. Yeah. And there was a lot of uh, kids up there that would go to school and stuff in Toronto. Right. And they were always bouncing back and forth. Yeah. That's a hunting fishing paradise. Saint, yeah, the Sioux, yeah. That river is yeah. unbelievable, man. That's a great fishing river. You guys got a lot of beavers where you live? We do. Yeah, they can be uh, a bit of a problem. Yeah. So we can't hunt them. We are only allowed to trap them. Yeah, same here. Yeah, uh, unless there's like... Unless you're in Colorado, then you can only hunt them. causing like damage on your property, then you can shoot them. We had a farmer call us. Uh, we hunt deer on his property. He, he wanted some help getting rid of beavers. Same here. It's a fur bear. Yeah. 
So you can't hunt it. But here's no. the thing, they voted trapping out in Colorado. Okay. So what's state doing like, okay, <laughs> hunt them. fine. It's just, oh, then it's just, then you can just hunt them. Yeah. Instead, so there. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Oh, you should tell them about the beaver sausage you guys made. Oh, yeah. Uh, we did, uh, how many pounds we do? 40. 40 That's pounds. Hot, spicy Italian beaver sauce. Have you ever eaten the tail? Rodent sauce. Oh, yeah. yeah. The tail's good. I got a couple in my freezer. Yeah, rodent sausage, man. We didn't put our muskrats in there, but uh, it was going to be a rodent medley. That's one thing I haven't eaten yet is muskrat. I want to try it. So, yeah, a friend of mine, he... So, the, uh, there's a there's two different kinds of trappers license. There's, like, a recreational one yep. where you don't have to have a registered trap line. Oh. That's what I'm going to look into. Yeah, we don't have that. I know you guys have that system. But so we don't have a registered yeah, trap line system like, here. You have to fill your quota and yep. actually take the furs to auction and report your earnings. Yep. And it's, it's well, very... Uh, if you don't have to have a registered one, what happens when two dudes are like... Here? Like if it's, you cross it's, it's, paths. Dude, it's an honor system. Right. Now and then they do it differently. Like, like for instance, there's a real famous Horicon Marsh in Wisconsin. Um, real famous, like very valuable high-grade muskrats. And they divide Horicon Marsh up, and then they auction off the right. auction off the rights. But in general, it's just like honor system. So it, get, it gets ugly. Yeah. Even like at the level I trapped, it would get ugly. Yep. People were getting fights. I remember being at a fur buyer's one time, and I was young, and the fur buyer saying to another guy on the phone, talking about opening damn muskrats, and he goes, "Anybody fucks with you, shoot him." And I didn't know he was joking. I was yeah. like, "Jesus, man! I hope I'm not trapping that spot." <laughs> But now I later got to know the guy and realized that he was just having fun. But yeah. <laughs> when you're young and half scared of other trappers, you know. You recognize that? I don't know what that is. It's shit on a stick. <laughs> it's like a fungus or yeah, a, black a knot. Yeah, that, that grows on cherry. Yeah, we had some friends who were like I always heard about shit on a stick, but <laughs> I didn't know it was real. You guys get cattails? Yep. Yeah. So cattails, you can actually eat the shoots in the spring, or you pull them and it's like the root. Not necessarily, just above the root, there's like, you peel away the outer layer and there's like a nice white kind of... Like starchy yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So you can pickle those. Yeah, um, I've, I've taken those and pickled them. That's pretty yeah. good, man. Yeah, pickle cattail shoots are neat. Um, and then I've actually heard of people making, they dry them out and make flour with it, which I thought was really, really I've interesting. I've never done that. Yeah. I've heard of that as well. Uh, a bit laborious for me, there's but... cattail right there. Yeah, like there is some old... Yeah. Like those, and that looks like it might be that, that, you're this right. year's cattail. Who wants to get wet? Yeah. <laughs> Where are you looking? Right, right there. there. Yeah. Go over there and grab that, bro. <laughs> you, uh, you can jump it. I bet you bridge take the bridge. Oh, yeah, take the bridge. Candy ass. Embarrassed to call Brody a colleague. He's going to go over and use that bridge. <laughs> uh, you know what we used to do with cattails when we were little was uh, we'd like to. Here. No, we'd like to dip the head in gas. <laughs> oh shit! And then light that on fire and run around. <laughs> and one time we were doing that with the fire chief's kid, and uh, he got real mad. The fire chief, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> it's unbecoming of a fire chief's kid <laughs> to make cattail torches. What I'm doing is I'm I'm curious now. If this is a good crayfish creep. Yeah, I haven't seen any uh, raccoon leavings of crayfish claws, and I smell mint. You smell it? Right here, where I'm stomping. That's where I take a whiff. Good spot to look for it, right by the creek. No, it's, it's reeks of mint. I just can't find it. 
someone's in it. Maybe Corinne's in it. Yeah, it got oh, stirred up somewhere. There's, there's some kind of plant Overpowering over mint odor right now. You smell what I'm talking about? Now I smell something. No, do you, do you guys smell it or is it just I mint? I don't. But. You don't smell mint right now? Phantom mint smells aren't a sign of COVID, are they? Yeah. No, but dude, my mint patch in my garden. <laughs> I gave away about a bushel of mint last night. I think they're stomping, they're stomping on it. Are you guys stomping on mint? I don't think so. I don't see any. I just got like two big strong whiffs of it. God, I can't find it. Oh, there you go, Karen. Hold it. There. Right there. Where? Isn't this mint? This guy? No. Oh, that's not a mint? Oh, no, that's not a mint. Damn it. <laughs> Bill, are you walking on mint? I don't think so. Michael, do some foragers have the same urge as some hunters to uh, jump a fence like that one over there and go on to private property? Oh, 100%. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If you know there's morels somewhere, I don't think. Uh... Oh, it's tearing me up. Oh, oh. There it is. I found it. It all stunk. Oh, yeah. I found it. Look at that. There's I found it. A couple more under your left arm. Is it right in the water? No, it's just right above the water. Oh, now I can really smell it. Now, if someone yeah. was smart, they'd dig that up and bring that home. Oh, see, that looks different than my mint. So we get... Oh, there's there's a bazillion so kinds, kinds right? man. See, that one, the leaves are sharp and, and jagged, yeah. That's an odiferous mint, man. No, home. is that not it? That doesn't smell like mint. Doesn't taste like mint. Damn no, it, that's not really the mint? <laughs> I was going to say... Where mine, is it? Mine has I thought that red, was it with the purple. Because look yeah, at that leaf. The red, uh, the red stalk and the green leaf. Son of a bitch, that's it not like it? looks like spearmint. No, that's not it. Damn it. <laughs> you just said you could smell it real I good right now? I smelled it, yeah. This is bizarre. It's just thick and there's a lot of shit growing in here. Oh, I thought for sure that was it when I looked at it. That, that purplish stem. Yeah. Did you find the mint? Do you guys smell it over there? I don't smell it anymore. But you were smelling it. You got a, a whiff of it. Yeah. No, not that tall. Okay, I feel like I'm smelling it right now. I don't think it's on. I think it is on that side. You're right. Damn it. Sons of bitches. That's bizarre. It's so strong smelling, we can't find it. Sitting down here, my nose down on the ground, smelling a bunch of shit. It must be really small. Yeah, that's what I'm it's thinking. Not growing up enough yet, maybe. I feel like that happens a fair bit. Like the other day, we were, uh, not the other day, but a little while ago, we were getting mushrooms. We got a few, several kinds of good mushrooms. And I kept smelling mint and was sort of like, like making a half-assed attempt to locate it and didn't locate it. So I couldn't tell where the smell was blowing in from. Find it, Phil. Uh, I'm sorry to report that I did not. It was really pouring the coals to the ground over there. Should we keep walking a little bit? Let's do it. Yeah, Corinne? Find we found all kinds of shit. You want like a major discovery? <laughs> you want the meal. Man, I've had a Helix sleep mattress for years, and man, that thing is nice. 
the Helix lineup, just comfortable. It feels good, and you don't get all like, it's not all like hot and sticky in the summertime. It's not cold in the winter. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash eater and use code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Have you ever wondered if you could, like, pull off cowboy boots? Then you should pull on a pair of Tacovas. You will see. They'll become your new favorite footwear. Now we're going to throw it to Chili. If you know him, he is a cowboy boot aficionado. Dude don't like to cross the street without his cowboy boots on. Hear him out. People want to know when to wear Tacovas. Date night. Now, I'm not a very fancy guy, but when I put my Tacovas on, I feel very fancy, and my girlfriend seems to like them too. Now, if you can't make it into a store, Tacovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T E C O V A S.com and point your toes west. As a special opportunity for our listeners, Tacovas has said they will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 on Tacovas.com. Just use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's about a $30 value, and they sell fast, so they're always updating with new styles and looks. Again, for a limited time, enter code MEATEATER at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacovas. only at Tacovas.com. Hey, everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives For 30 years, you get one of these knives up and open it. It is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, watch that video and in that video you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released which is true but now for the first time they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site so right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order Montana Knife Company Working knives for working people, 10% off with the code Meat Eater. That's a good deal. Okay, now that we're uh, 
sitting here in our beautiful studio. Um, do you kind of see what I'm saying about, like, at least from my perspective about the off season? Oh, totally. Yeah. I, uh, the berry, I would uh, agree. <laughs> yeah, the berries aren't in. And, and like, mushrooms are gone. Yeah, it's not like a hot mushroom time. It kind of starts, you know, gets summertime. Yeah. But uh, you can still tell there's like a, a ton of possibility. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of like hunting, you know. It's it's every time you go out, you're not going to come home with, with uh, you know, the trophy. Let's say, right? So it's for me, it's it's uh, it's just good to get out there and be in country and hang out with your friends and you know, hope to find something interesting. But what I uh, what it did reinforce is that outside of the big marquee things that people know, like picking you know wild blueberries, wild strawberries, whatever, uh, and picking the the really nice mushrooms that there's these two sort of ubiquitous wild edibles. Yeah. Like dandelion greens and dan- cattails. <laughs> dandelions and cattails. It's like foraging 101. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you're out in the woods starving, whatever. Dandelions and cattails, man. It'd be a bitter, a bitter meal, but you can, <laughs> <laughs> you can make it work. <laughs> so later you're going to, um, Brody here, he's telling me that you guys are going to like cook something. Yeah, so I've cleaned up the cattails. We'll use the cattail hearts, and I'm going to do a little dish with uh, a venison loin and uh, a spice ash recipe from the cookbook. So the I've only ever pickled those. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with them? The, the I think I'm just going to saute them in a pan with a little olive oil. Oh, does that work? Yeah, just saute them. I think you got to clean them really well. Um, like get down to the soft stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just peel out the outer layers, sort of like the the last kind of foot of the cattail. Uh, you know, not not the frilly stuff on top, but the like the the twelve inches of the meaty stock at the bottom. Just cut that off, and then peel the outer layers of the green stuff, and you get that white heart. Do me a favor, though. Do something with the d- damn dandelions. <laughs> <laughs> we could definitely do like, uh, a side the, dish. Billions of yeah. dollars are spent trying to get rid of dandelions. <laughs> I feel like you have to go. And do a little, a neat little trick. bitter little salad. Yeah, you know, a neat little <laughs> trick though is um, uh, garlic and chili flakes really kind of take away some of that bitterness. Oh, so if you pick enough of them, um, it's like spinach; like it wilts to nothing. But you, you know, steam them or blanch them first. Uh, squeeze out the the excess water, and then saute it with a little butter, garlic, and chili flakes, and it really just takes away a lot of that bitterness. Is that right? Yeah. Like rapini, same thing, rapini. And um, one thing I mentioned, uh, marsh marigold is a good one too for to treat like that. You know, I had a little surprise, uh, a negative experience where the lettuce in my garden this early, for us it's still early mm-hmm. for gardening, uh, didn't bolt. Okay. It's early, bitter is... Really? Oh. Interesting. Bitter. I wonder why that is. Dude, I never... It, yeah. And I had one of those huh. seed blends, so it's like right. eighty kinds of yeah, it's just yeah. really disappointing. You don't know what's man. what. No, nah, yeah, it's yeah. like I feel like the the shitty kind did real well in my garden, and all the good. <laughs> kind, it's like you know, it's like a thousand different kinds of seeds. And you just yeah. throw it down and take what you get. Yeah, not a good approach, man. Interesting. You shouldn't be allowed to do that, that to people. Yeah, <laughs> the bitter mix. Yeah, it was like yeah. Here's a mix of a bunch of stuff that won't germinate, except for the super bitter kinds will be all over the place in your garden, and your kids like won't like the salad. Yeah. With that behind us again, Chef Michael Hunter. I hate to do this to you, man. You've probably had to tell the story so many times. But you got to tell the story. You got to start out just for context. You got to tell. I want the, the story about 
you know, when he got super in the news. <laughs> the vegans. <laughs> yeah. The vegans. Because this will probably, like, people will be like, oh, I've never hearing about this. Yeah. That was not something I ever expected was going to happen, opening a restaurant. Um, so that was when you opened. No, that was, it was actually two years after we oh, opened. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't right when we opened, but just not one of the, like open, opening and running a restaurant is hard enough. And that was, uh, that was probably the most difficult thing I've had to in, endure, uh, as a chef and a business owner and just as a, as a person, because they were, they were trying to shut us down and, uh, you know, basically just attacking us. So this is like, it gives people like where you're at. So my restaurant, Antler, is located in Toronto. Uh, we're uh, just sort of out of downtown. We're in this little pocket called Little Portugal. And we had a chalkboard sign out front. We're a tiny little restaurant. We're 45 seats. And Was, that your, was that your first restaurant? The first restaurant that I owned. The, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. So I know you've been in the restaurant biz for a yeah. long time. But uh, so we had this chalkboard sign out front that said, Venison is the new kale. <laughs> and Dude, I had a really nice kale salad last night because my garden kale is kicking yeah. my ass. Kale's awesome. Do you know Chef? Do you know uh, Jesse Griffiths? I don't. He's a I chef in Texas. Up. Okay, he does a lot of game. I look him up. Oh, you should. You guys be like. Be you friends. guys be like nuts on a dog. <laughs> uh, he makes this really good kale salad, and I called, texted him to be like, "How do you make that shit?" And I made yeah. mine; it wasn't as good as his. But anyways, <laughs> it wasn't even kind of like even close to his. I don't get it. But <laughs> so venison was the new kale. Is what what did it? And the cyclist rode by, and she was a head organizer of a group, uh, like a grassroots organization. I think they they have a couple, but it was Pig Save or uh, I forget the actual name of them. Pig anyway, Save. So they would protest slaughterhouses. Um, oh, okay. And that was their an animal rights uh, group, uh, PETA funding um, type thing. And the organizer of this group rode by on her bike and was offended. And well, how do you know that happened? That's what they basically wrote on their site, and then they had, they'd had interviews. So that that's how we found out exactly how it happened. Um, and just one night, uh, I think it was in November, they showed up, and we actually got tipped off by a large corporation that. Uh, they also target, uh, I'm not going to name names, but so they, this corporation has their own security division that just handles these vegan groups because well, that's, that's interesting. They, they try and hurt your business. Yeah. So we actually got tipped off and they said that this group's coming, that here's their Facebook page. Um, their Facebook page was private, but they had sort of some Intel, I guess they have some fake members of the group. I'm sure. Yeah. So we got wind of what was happening. We didn't really think much of it. We just said, okay, business as usual. Let's just try and ignore it. And um, they sent us a letter of, of sort of their demands. Which were? They wanted to have a meeting with us to change our menu. And they wanted us to put their slogan, uh, you know, one of their slogans in our window. Oh, but they got a guy to give in and do that too. Oh, they've got many. Because they're rel- they're relentless. Like they'll take yeah. they you know they take photos of your children and put them online and do just, they just do terrible stuff. Really? We had uh, yeah we we they eventually stopped because a couple of them got restraining orders because they slipped up. No, well, that sounds illegal. Yeah. So w- were they? Do you know if they were targeting your restaurant because of its connection to Wild Game? One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. So they said that we were lying to people because. You know, we were hunting and serving the game meat ourselves, and that's not something we've ever, you know, claimed that's totally legal. Um, 
you know, the thing with the game farms is, is I, I want to sell game because I love to eat it. And it's the only way I can. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of these, these little game farms are little family run operations. And I know the farmer and we know what they eat and, um, you know, how they're raised and we can go visit the farms if we want. And, um, it, you know, it's just a really great way to, uh, do business for us. So, um, they, they call it the humane meat myth. So they were going after small businesses that were mm. farm to table also, uh, because they, they say that, um, you know, it doesn't matter how the animals raised meat is murder. So they say that people are tricking the consumer when they say it's a healthier alternative if farm to table. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a plausible argument. I can understand it. I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, if like, I, I yeah. could see someone hitting on the idea that, um, wait a minute, yeah. I don't think you should ever kill an animal. Exactly. And sure, if you're nice to it, like you're still killing it. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see someone arriving yeah. at that. Yeah. But, you know, that animal has a better life than, than you know, some of the alternative that's out there. Yeah. But, but there are arguments floating around out there that I don't get yeah. how you arrive at them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm saying. like, exactly. I, don't, I don't have to have the opinion mm-hmm. to understand how one might get there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um. And it was just baffling to us the way it would happen. So we actually wrote them back once and said, listen, you know, we, we actually already have a couple of vegan dishes on the menu, um, you know, vegetarian food and like foraging and just wild ingredients is something that we're really passionate about. Uh, we invited them to take them foraging one, you know, if they were interested and just have a dialogue. And, uh, I think they wrote back something kind of nasty and they didn't want to have, they weren't into that. Um, so we just stopped communicating. When you wrote them a letter, do you mean you like wrote a letter? Uh, I think it was an email. Yeah. It was over email, that one. So um, they said to you, they come to you and say, we're going to show up, protest the shit out of your place. Yep. Unless you change the menu. And I imagine by change the menu, they mean like full Ve- on. Full, full vegan. <laughs> and why, why are they out at your place and not out at Arby's or something? Well, the funny thing Not was, that I'm hacking on Arby's. Yeah. I don't know what Arby's does. I actually, I'm assuming I, they kill all those animals I, and I cut their meat up real thin. Accidentally outed the butcher shop across the street because I, I think I said in an interview or something I said there's a butcher shop across the street and then they went and protested them so <laughs> felt bad but like <laughs> seriously like there's like the meat morgue like across the street you know slaughtering more stuff than we are yeah um, I've seen the uh, okay so keep telling the story so I like that deal where they put the sticker in the window that's bad I would not want that sticker no. No, neither did we. Where so, you, the sticker basically says, like, assholes working here. It basically, yeah, meat, meat is murder. I can't remember. It was just bizarre, their slogan. So we just thought, okay, let's ignore this, and it'll just go away. Mm-hmm. So it didn't go away. It was, so then it, they were protesting us once a week. How many people? Five to ten would show up. Oh. So what it was, was lame. The, it was uh, totally lame. What group? What Was it PETA, or was it? No, so it was, they called themselves, it was a grass, root, grass Toronto uh, but they, there was like several little, uh, the only one I can think of is pig save. Cause one of them just actually got run over by a pig truck. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. They were protesting. A oh, so it wasn't total like weirdness. No. Oh. <laughs> so they were protesting. I thought they were like out checking their mail and got hit by a pig truck. I would find that to be like, it I don't know. Like, Irony's not the right The only word. reason I'm it thinking was... of it, cause it was just in the news again, but one of their groups was pig save. Um, and it jumped out in front of a pig truck. Yeah. They were protesting. They wouldn't move. And I guess the truck didn't stop. The pigs would eat them. Pigs would eat them. My dad always said, if you lay there long enough, that pig will eat you. <laughs> um, and eventually I just got fed up. Well, I, I would always leave because I knew I was going to do something stupid if I stuck around. So five to ten people. Five to ten people. And they're hooting and hollering. They're like, hey, hey, banging ho, ho. Banging on our windows, huge signs, screaming at our customers coming in and out. And I was, you Was know, it bad for business or good for business? In the beginning, it was bad. And so- 
I'd have gone in there. I was about almost said I would have gone in there guns a blazing as it's a hard. as a as an expression. Yeah. Not guns. I would have gone in there and had dinner. Yeah. Yeah. So I eventually I had to be there one night. I forget someone was sick or away, and I had to work. And because uh, it was just so upsetting, I didn't want to be there when they were there. Uh-huh. Um, what night of the week was it? Thursdays. They picked Thursdays. They did Thursdays or Fridays. Um, and. So we, we get whole deer delivered once a month. We generally get one to two animals um, that would last us the month. Um, and we break down our own stuff. So I went down. We had a delivery that morning. I got so upset. I saw a customer come in uh, uh, visibly on a date. And the woman was almost crying because she's being screamed at with a megaphone, murderer, like F you, um, you know, just horrible stuff. So this woman I saw come in was like almost crying. And I just said, okay, enough's enough. And I went downstairs, chopped off a the whole back leg of a deer uh-huh. got a red cutting board. I think it got some like sanitizer and stuff. So it would be safe if I got called like if the case, the health department were called, I had like safety stuff around me. Uh, and I plunked the leg down in the front window and started to just joint and butcher the back leg in front of them. <laughs> and, uh, that was sort of my protest back. Like, you know, you're going to offend me in my window. I'm, I'm just going to offend you, excuse me, right back. And, um, from within your window. <laughs> From within my window. And I had every legal right to do it. Uh, but they filmed the whole thing. And and the police came in to talk to me because I said, you know, they're, they're calling the health department. I said, that's fine. I'm within my rights. They said, yep, okay. And then, you know, they kind of had a chuckle with me because they were, they were on our side. They were taking police resources away from the city to be there because they're there to keep the peace. Um, and you guys never called the police we, on them. We never called the police on them. They were there. Um to keep the peace because they they would bang on our windows and do stuff that is illegal when the police weren't there. So I butcher this deer leg in the window. They film the whole thing. Uh, I go back, cook up a piece of meat in the kitchen. They come back and I ate it in front of them. <laughs> so <laughs> that was my but protest. How, how did it become like a major like international news story? So they 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 filmed this whole thing and they they sat outside with this big sign meat is murder as I'm hacking up this That's this a good album the meat. good smiths album though man the, the the shot the cover shot is cool I go about I will... things the wrong way <laughs> I am human <laughs> <laughs> Keep going Steve So and they so they posted this video con- footage to all of their mainstream vegan sites and it started to blow up and go viral around the world but not in the not, not in a good way not were you being the hero no, not in you a good became way. the hero we became the hero after a weekend of <laughs> being the devil um so our like google ratings were getting attacked our facebook ra- anywhere where you could rate our restaurant was being attacked by vegans giving us one star reviews and, oh i got rotten food and everything you could think of um people started like just digging into my social media pulling pictures of my family putting them online um Really? Just, oh, yeah. Just like attacking you in every way they could online. And then when the mainstream media got it, it was it, – so this happened on like a Thursday, Friday. Uh, so all weekend, this stuff's like floating around the webs and we're just kind of shitting our pants like we're screwed. Like I screwed us. And then the mainstream picked it up and wrote like a really positive piece for us saying that, you know, we're sticking up for our business. You know, these people have no right telling us what we can and can't serve. Um, you know, we care about our ingredients. We, you know, try and serve ethically stu- ethically sourced stuff. And it was really positive towards us. And just the general public opinion was all in support of Antler. And then it, it, it just, it just went viral. I have no uh, understanding. Was that good for how, business? 
Th- that was. <laughs> <laughs> and that was. And we were nervous about talking about it because it was, th- they protested us still once a week for 11 months. They tried to close our business. You're shitting me. I swear to God. So it was. Tenacious. It was, it was emotional, man. It was stressful. Um, they continue to protest you. They continue to protest. And then, so because, because it went viral, they got a lot of support on their end too. So these protests of five to 10 people turned into a hundred outside a little 40 seater restaurant. So it sucked. It was not fun. <laughs> like afterwards, it's fun. How did to they look eventually? Back why did they eventually quit? I don't know. They just stopped. Did, did you I put think, your, Did you put the sign up they wanted? No. No, we refused. I said no. Like no way in hell. My business partner. I was actually considering it, and my business partner was the one who actually said like, "No effing way are we doing anything to help you know their cause or support what they want." So, um, that was that was good for me to hear because I was kind of think I was getting tired of it. You're getting ready to capitulate. Yeah. It was, uh, it was emotional. Like it was hard. So, uh, because we care so much about what we're doing and it's, it's our life's work. It's our passion. Um, and then to have people trying to physically shut you down and hurt you, uh, was tough. It's funny how people attack. This happens in a lot of facets of, of life where people are more inclined to attack something that leans in their direction. Like they, when they look at a spectrum of like, let's say that there's a thing they hate. Okay. So yep. they hate like, like they don't like animal abuse. They don't like violence toward animals. Okay. So that's a spectrum. Oftentimes when, when someone doesn't like a thing and the thing is part of a spectrum, people want to attack the thing that has the, the, the most adjacency to their position. Right. Not always, but often like, yeah. like the same way that, I imagine like you, you take someone who, whatever, you take certain Christian denominations, right? And you'd be like, so they, they, like, they don't like evil, right? So you'd think they would be like hyper-focused on devil worshipers. Yeah. But they'd be like, they'd be like hyper-focused on Mormons. <laughs> very, very similar, right? Yeah. But they're like, so it'd be like, why are you not mad at devil? I would think that you'd be mad about devil worshipers in your town. Yeah. Not people of the Mormon faith in your town who sort of are like like very in line yeah. with what you got going on. They don't deserve it. <laughs> you know, but they, but they, like they can't even begin to deal with the devil worshiper right. end of things. And so you get something close. And so here you have like a restaurant that's sort of saying, you're like leaning into ideas of sustainability and leaning into ideas of animal welfare. Yeah. And so then they're faced with like, well, who do we, let's go after the guy that seems to kind of talk about some of the things we're trying to talk about <laughs> and make an example out of him. How totally. dare you sort of be, right? Yeah. Totally. We are, yeah. We we have the same problem. It's in a weird way. Like, I always thought we'd get, like, a, like our company, I always figured, yeah. oh, we'll get attacked from the left. Yeah. That's right. You know, like, I'm, like, fairly conservative. Yeah. Uh, always anticipated that I would get attacked from the left. We get attacked, like, from the right. Wow. <laughs> like, you know, you, you go on TV with everybody's carrying guns around and you spend a career making shows where people have firearms and you promote firearm usage and put it, you know, but it's like, ah, I got a feeling these people don't really like guns. <laughs> they don't like guns enough for me. And, and, and so then you become, you know, it's just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's wild. But it also, it's like, there are many ways to agitate for change. It feels like 
this is kind of like a, I don't know, a, a manipulative relationship. Totally. Where one totally. makes demands. We're not the ones <laughs> that make you... the laws around. Because we, we actually agree with a lot of their beliefs. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think slaughterhouses are typically a great place for animals to be. Um, you know, and it's, it's illegal for the farmer to slaughter the animal himself and sell it directly to the restaurant. So all animals have to go to this not so great habitat of where they have to spend the last days of their life. So there are things that we agree on, but they should be protesting the government to change the laws to make slaughterhouses a more humane place, I guess. That's not fun. It's a lot more fun to go out in front of a restaurant trying to destroy someone's job. And, you know, because we, because it went viral, you know, for every hundred, you know, supporters we got, you know, they got maybe two. So like their movement grew at the same time, even though it was all negative for them in the mainstream media, um, you know, they, they gained a bit of support for their, their group. So I think that's what, you know, fueled them for so long is because they were, they were milking it. They were getting all kinds of attention when no one had ever heard of them before. I'm surprised they didn't respond to your, uh, your email back. You know, I your outreach for, for, like for conversation. Mushroom, <laughs> invite them to go yeah, mushroom picking. Get, yeah. <laughs> so they actually did start responding. And at that point, you know, we had to hire a, a PR crisis person to oh. help us deal with it. Um, and then so they advise us just to not talk to them at all. That's what those people always do. Yeah. Next time you want to go call a, a crisis management place, <laughs> don't. And just be like, I'll tell you what they'll say. Don't engage. Yeah. Well, it was good because they, they did steer us in the right direction with some things. Uh, they did, they, you know, it was a friend's company that I knew. So they, you know, it was pretty affordable for us. Um, but they gave us some really good advice because I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to argue with them and, and try and get my point across. But the did you ever was, have a sit down? No. Because they, they would just publicly post whatever we say and they twist things. They cut things out. They twist it. They, they would take pictures of our restaurant at like five o'clock before we had any customers and be like, our, our movement's working, antlers empty. And it's like, well, yeah, we're not open yet. Like, or it's like, (laughs) there's like a, you know, in between, you know, we have diners come in at five, six o'clock and then another rush at eight. So, you know, there's this weird time when tables are flipping that, you know, there's half, we're half full. So they'd post these photos say antlers, antlers losing business on a Saturday night. You know, they're only half full. I'm like... Did they Meanwhile. partially, do you feel that they partially hated you because you embraced it? Like you called it antler and like, do you kind of like brace the connection with animals rather than having it be that it's like you have a clown with red hair and he sort of is the face of the. Yeah. yeah I don't, like, I, wow, it's like, you know, a nice clown. He's nice to kids and they don't talk about what they're serving in there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. a little, uh, even if there's not an actual connection to hunting, there's like the, the idea that. That we're promoting it. Yeah. And that yeah. you enjoy it. That's a good it. point. Yeah. That's a really good that point. That might have been what pissed them off. Yeah. Did you get to, did the same group of people show up over the course oh, that, yeah. that you got to know? Them? No, was it like, face. hey, yeah. John and Mary, how you doing? Like, I wouldn't talk to them because I just knew the stuff coming out of my mouth wouldn't be friendly. And I just knew, you know, don't. but it was the same core group of same people. core, same, yeah. like five people, the yeah. organizers. Yeah. And especially the ones, because they were the ones taking pictures of my kids and I could see that they were posting them and stuff. So there was one guy that it's like, if I got within three feet of him, it would have been ugly. So yeah. I was just like, I'm not going anywhere near this. Um, yeah. But that's next level low. Yeah. It, and it, it's, yeah. Just in, incredibly frustrating. Like I didn't have the, the, the tools to deal with what, you know, facing them would be like. So I just knew don't go near them. <laughs> so it, it eventually fizzled out. It just fizzled out, you know. Um, did, you, did, your mo- did your restaurant maintain the momentum? 
Um, we did. We definitely saw like a spike. You know, um, we were getting phone calls from all around the world. People were emailing us from all around the world. Like literally, people sending us the articles from New Zealand, from South Africa, from Singapore, uh, from England, in Russian. Like it was. It was just bizarre. Like. I had, you know, you see about these stories and things going viral and then when you experience it yourself is just, just bizarre, you know. You have a, you have a cookbook coming out. I do. Yeah, very, talk about that. Very and then proudly coming my, out. Yeah, talk about the cookbook. <laughs> but then my question is, did you, did that, did this whole thing sort of put you in a position where you got to do a cookbook or do you think you would have done a cookbook anyways? No. So the cookbook was actually what started the restaurant. So, um... I was working, you know, I grew up working as a chef as a, as a young, you know, teenager. Yeah, and, I got started uh, way young. I got started at 13 at a diner. You know, I wanted Did you grow my, up poor? Not poor. It was sort of up and down. You know, yeah. I grew up a single mom and there were, there were she, she, a lot of times she had her own business. So there were good times and, and bad times. It was, uh, you know, not, it wasn't very stable. Um, but I just, I wanted to have my, I wanted to buy skateboards and t-shirts and, you know, stupid, stupid stuff as a kid that your parents would say no to. So you had to go. Um, get, you had to go get your own cash. Yeah, and I liked it. I really liked having money. So I thought that was cool. Um, and I, I, I liked the work. And I, I was very food motivated. I loved to eat as a kid. So I found it really cool learning how to make stuff. So did you ever do any kind of schooling or anything around cooking? I did. Yeah. So I, I did. Uh, it's a it's a formal trade apprenticeship. So I did my apprenticeship trade. Got my Red Seal certification. Went to I went to college, a community like not a community college, but a, a college for trades. Um, and yeah, I got my got my chef papers uh, in my early twenties. So just career, career chef. Yeah. And what really motivated that was um, I had my daughter really young. So I had my daughter when I was nineteen. Wow. And. Uh, that really now? 16. That'll date you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 35. Figure that out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really my dream. So you had your own force. restaurant in your early 30s, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was, wow. it was wild. So working your ass off. You had a kid when you were 19. I had a kid when I was 19. And that just motivated, like I find it, it does one of two things. Either motivates you or people run. And I, I chose to stuck, stick around and stick with it. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, my daughter like saved my life in a lot of ways. Like I was, I had a hard teenage kind of growing up, I was a uh, troubled youth kind of kid and, uh, having, having a kid really focused me into, uh, having an amazing work ethic and just being a, a solid dude, you know, cause I wasn't really solid before. That's interesting. Yeah. That you wound up feeling that way. I mean, it's typical, but that's a young age to hit that. I think the older yeah. you are, the more likely you'll hit that feeling. Yeah. Cause I meet some people now and then that don't get that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the kid having yeah. does not, not help. Does not necessarily make yeah. one lean in. I, was, I remember I my was buddy, lucky. a buddy of mine, Mo, one of our old camera guys, he talked about having a kid and he said, like, it made him want to get up in the morning and get like a fedora, you know, and get like a briefcase. <laughs> and, like, put your hat on in the morning and march out the door, you know, with your briefcase Go to, to conquer the world, man. You know, he's like, that's what he felt like he ought to be doing. I'm like, shit, a lot of people don't feel that way. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I, I didn't have a dad growing up for the most part. My dad moved to LA when I was very young. From where? He moved from Toronto? Toronto, Toronto to LA. Yeah. When I was like three or four. What yeah. was he doing? Why did he do that? Uh, he married, he married a woman down there. I think it was just, he, he himself had like alcoholism problems and stuff like that. So he, he, I think just wanted to start a new life. Uh, and I have two, two half sisters in the city as well. Um, did he wind up having anything to do with you? Yeah. So I would go visit did him. He see, did he write yeah. you after he saw the article? Yeah. <laughs> No, we've, we're actually, we're very close now. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I'd go visit him on the summers and stuff as a kid. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so I think a big part of it was I, I didn't, I didn't want to do that to my kid. I wanted to really be there. Um, 
is what is what really motivated me to work hard. Uh huh. Um, so well, that's great. You know, when so when a lot of my friends are partying when they're in their twenties, I was working, and that's I think that's why, um, you know, I was able to open a restaurant when I was thirty because I was so focused. So. You were, you were getting ready to tell us about how the, the, the cookbook led to the... So, yeah, the cookbook. Um, wow, we got off track there. No, you're fine. Uh, so, so it's all stuff I needed to know. So I was, uh, I was, I was, I was passionate about food and I had um, started hunting and foraging in uh, my late teens. A uh, family friend, I guess I can do this now, um, took me out turkey hunting. And uh, because I was cooking professionally... Um, we went turkey hunting. It was still to this day one of the best turkey hunts I've ever been on. I I was so uh, blown away by the flavor of wild turkey because I had something to compare it to. You know, like with with deer, you don't grow up eating farmed deer. Whereas, mm. you know, turkey, I'd have turkey at Christmas and Thanksgiving and all these holidays. So it, it was like eating turkey for the first time. It was, this is like, wow, this is what turkey is supposed to taste like. And that other crap that we've been eating from the grocery store, I don't know what that is anymore. Like that's just garbage. And- I think as a chef, you try and source the most amazing ingredients possible. So for me, it was, okay, I don't want to eat that other shit anymore. This is what real food is, is this wild food. And the more I got into hunting and learning about wild foods and and foraging, the more interested like my friends and family became and they wanted me to teach them or take them or talk to them about it. So the idea of the book was really just, I wanted to teach people about hunting and foraging um, because it's something that I think has just been lost in our culture. When did you start working on the book? I, I think I was 20. We've been working, I've been working on the book for, and I say week, my, my business partner got involved. Um, I think I was 27 or 28, started working. On the, I went and bought a camera and uh, I had worked for a famous chef at the time and he handed me a cookbook and I thought, okay, if this guy can do it, like, why can't I do it? Who was the chef? Uh, Scott Conant. He's out of New York, okay. but he, he had opened an Italian restaurant in, in Toronto. And he did a cookbook. He's done a few, yeah. So I, I worked like, for him. It can't him. be that hard. Well, I just thought, you know, like <laughs> Scott was a down to earth guy and I related to him on a lot of levels. And I was like, okay, like, you know, this guy inspired me. It was like, you know, he's got a book. I can, I can do a book. And one my sister actually said to me, she's like, you're like the hunter chef. Cause like, it's our last name. So, and I was like, that's a great name. So I trademarked the name and just, I'm going to write this book and teach people about this. Cause everyone's asking me anyway, I was so passionate about it. And I was like, this is going to be, you know, I, I want to inspire other people to eat better and eat healthier and learn more about this. Uh-huh. Um, and then, uh, you know, I started talking to my family about it and this is what I'm, this is what I'm doing. I'm working, I'm going to work on this book. I bought a camera. I like photography anyway. Um, my sister's, it's a weird connection, but my sister's husband's stepmom said to me, she said, oh, my, my son is, is taking cooking classes and he's a documentary filmmaker. And I'd met him occasionally at family events. And she's like, he's a photographer, you know, you guys should talk. And then um, we talked and, and he was telling me he was taking cooking classes for fun uh, at a local college. And uh, our, our deal was he'd help me with the photos for the book and I'd teach him how to cook. Uh, and that's, that's how the book started. That was seven years ago. <laughs> and you guys put some time into it. <laughs> so we got sidetracked, you know, we, we started taking photos for the book and then we thought, okay, let's, let's do some parties. So we, we do some parties for these food photos. We wanted to make all this food for photos. And then we had, we had all this food kicked lying around. So we're like, well, we'll have a, a game dinner with our family. So we started having these game dinners and then we thought, okay, we'll have, we'll have a game dinner, um, and sell tickets to it just to pay for some of the expenses. Um, so what we've wound up finding, cause I knew you couldn't sell game in a restaurant, but I wasn't really sure of the laws. Like you can't sell game period. 
so I got I got a visit from the Ministry of Natural Resources saying that, you know, we can't really do this. Yeah. Um, and I had to prove that we didn't really make a profit because uh, we, we only did one that we sold tickets to and we kind of got in trouble. So um, so we, we promoted that. We called it the illegal dinner because we were doing it out of his condo and not a <laughs> restaurant. And uh, a, a large paper bought a ticket and they wanted to write a story about it. And I thought we'd get this little blurb, you know, in, a, in this big paper. And we ended up getting like this two-page spread with photos and this write-up about this dinner we were doing because it was so different. You know, no one does And that got like you this. a visit from the... That got me a visit from the uh, the Ministry of Natural Resources. <laughs> Came to visit and, and, and we, we, you know, they were very, very nice, but I had to provide receipts and... And, uh, you know, we, cause we, we had bought rentals. We had to rent plates and tables and chairs. And, you know, we did this little dinner for 15 people. Uh, we had to buy a lot so of food. So at the time you were just ignorant of the rules. About I was, it. Uh, I was ignorant of the rules. Like there's, cause in Canada there's, there's, well, at least in Toronto, there's two laws. There's, there's the Ontario public health where you can't sell meat that hasn't been through a slaughterhouse. Yep. Um, and then there's the wild game laws, which I was unaware of that you can't sell game for profit at all. Like, yeah. you know, even to your neighbor, you know, whatever. Yeah, we have a, we have a very similar, similar suite of laws down here. Yeah. So now I, I know. Just, a thing I think about talking about, like when talking, you know, I don't know if this, I don't know if this is reciprocal, but like, uh, many people in the U S view Canada as being like, almost like a facsimile. Yeah. And then when you're talking about the, the rules, yeah. we earlier we're talking about like gun laws. I'm like, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. It's totally. That's right. It's a different country. <laughs> Very different. Yeah. The, yeah. So a lot of the game laws are really similar. But yeah. The gun laws are totally different. We could spend a quite, a, quite a while talking about that too. Um, we started getting all this publicity around this book that we're doing and this, this, this idea of wild food. And, and um, the restaurant where I was working, they, they said to me, they said, hey, you know, we noticed this article in the paper. They said, we don't really want to be involved in this. Like if you do stuff on your day off, that's fine. But like we don't want to be mentioned in these articles. And so we kind of thought, well – you know, this, we're getting this promotion, oh, it's not going back anywhere. Back up, I kind of got, I got, I'm confused. The, the restaurant where you were working didn't want it to be known that you worked at that restaurant. Not because they didn't want to be associated with hunting. Because hmm. they have, they, they even said to me, we don't want vegans protesting our restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> they called it. They called it. Really? They just had a feeling. They, they just said, we don't want PETA outside. So they just said, if you're, if you're, if you're doing this hunting and foraging, fishing stuff, like that's great. But uh, like we don't we don't really want to be a part of it, and that was a big thing. It was hard for me as a chef because I wanted to serve game dishes in the restaurant, um, and you know they didn't really want to. So a big part of Antler was just me being able to cook what I wanted to cook without anyone telling me no. So when you go to when you go to do a restaurant, um, is that uh, like financially, man? That's risky, right? It's it's very risky. I think it's like fifty percent of restaurants fail within the first year of business. What causes that? It's, it's a lot of mismanagement of, of money and it's, it's a lot of, there's, you don't need a license to open a restaurant. Like you need a business license, but you don't have to actually, you know, take a business course or, or, or be licensed as a chef. You don't have to have like a chef license. I do because it was my choice to go and get it. Um, but like, if you want to be a, a hairdresser or a barber, you have to go to school and do safety course and get a license to be a barber. Whereas the restaurant industry, you know, at least in Canada, it's, it's, it's a little different. Um, so there's a lot of people that are just going and opening restaurants because they think it's a good thing or idea to do. And they don't necessarily take the business courses that go along with it, Yeah, I think. Um, and. But when, when you hear about the failure rate on restaurants, 
is it because they're assuming that every seat's going to be full all the time, or are some of them so mismanaged that even if every seat was filled all the time, you still wouldn't be okay? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, and, you know, it's you're dealing with product that can go bad. Um, you're, you're dealing with like a party scenario. So if people are, are treating it like their own personal party, having their friends over and drinking and giving away free food, um, can be the case. A lot of it's, it's just like managing of the business itself. So we actually learned that we actually have to overbook our restaurant because of the amount of people that don't show up. So because we're so small, you know, if, if we, if we fully book ourselves at, you know, we say we were going to do two turns a night. So flip the table twice. So say we book 80 people. Well, if 20 of those people don't show up, that's a huge lack of sales that we could have had. So we actually have to overbook and take into account because stuff happens. People get sick or they forget or whatever it is. Um, so people don't show up. So you have to account for that. Um, there's, and there's tons of stuff like that. Um, theft is huge, you know, because you're dealing with food and booze. People like to eat and eat and drink. So I mean, theft from employees. Theft from employees And then sometimes. You, you got robbed three times in one year. Yeah. <laughs> That's been a problem. Um, yeah, like, like people, old fashioned, theft. old fashioned, smash in the window, run in, grab as much stuff as you can, and, and run out. So there's that. Uh, you know, fortunately, it doesn't happen a lot, uh, and they didn't really steal very much. Uh, but that you know that did happen. When does the book come out? Uh, October sixth. That's a good looking book. Thank you. Thank you. Did you have the, the <coughs> recipes all figured out when you started and when you were twenty seven, or was it a work in progress. No, it was a total work in yeah. progress and things change even, even up to like, you know, the very last date I had to get stuff into the publisher. We're like, okay, we're going to tweak this and fix that. Yeah. And there's still like, you know, another 50 recipes that now I'm like, oh, I want to put that in there and it's, it's too late. How so, many did you get in there? There's a hundred recipes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're really excited. It's, it's, uh, I think four main categories. There's fish and foraged, there's small game, large game, and then there's a, a dessert and cocktail section, which is really cool. Cool. That's really fun, yeah. Tell people some of the kinds of things you serve at your restaurant. So we like to incorporate all things wild, you know, things that you'd find in Canada and the United States. So um, wild mushrooms is a big part of that, chanterelles, uh, morels, black trumpets. Um, you know, if I go foraging, we'll take those pheasant backs we spoke about and shaggy manes and and some of the other, other kinds. Um, and you buy that from... You'll also, you'll buy mushrooms from yep. professional pickers. Yeah, totally. And there's, What's there's, that industry look like? like it's you, a neat You're just kind of, like, they just show up. Yes and no. Like, some of them show up, and I'm a little sketchy around those people, but um, a lot of times we'll get emails, or there's some bigger ones that are more well-known that I've used for years. Um, and, uh, you know, they pick themselves, and they also buy from pickers. So, because they're in Ontario, we buy BC mushrooms. Um, and it's, it's an interesting market. And it's, it's uh, and it, the, stu- the, the thing is, stuff's expensive. And there's, but there's, no, there's no rule against someone, um, like just Joe Blow, like just any dude off the street can show up and bang on your door with Sell a sack of morels. Yep. And you can buy them and serve them. Yep. In some, in some places it's not. Like I've heard of other states and provinces where uh, they cannot go to a farmer's market and buy food. They have to buy it from a licensed supplier. We don't have those laws where I am. But so I, I hear they do exist. But just Do you do transactions like that? Uh, I have in the past. Yeah. Some people have shown up and they've had beautiful uh, ramps or they're also called wild leeks, for instance. Yep. And they say, you know, these are huge patches at my cottage. Are you interested? And they were beautiful. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, here's hundred bucks, 150 bucks and whatever. And we got this bushel of ramps. 
So it does happen. I, then you I, turn around and put them on the menu. Turn around, we have to clean them and yeah. chop them up and all that stuff. But yeah, we turn and it's, it's, I, I love those ingredients because you can't find them in a store uh-huh. and they just taste so much different than anything you do find in a store. So it's, it, even, even some of the mushrooms that you, or things you can buy in the store when you buy them or you pick them yourself, there's more of a connection to it, but they're just fresher. They taste better when they're like two or three days old versus the store. You don't know how long it's been in there. I was talking to my kids about this the other day because uh, the difference between the strawberries right. that we grow yeah. and the ones you buy, I don't understand what goes wrong. Why are they huge? <laughs> why are well, they yeah, like why are the, yeah, why are the ones in the store, like they're the size of an apple and taste like nothing? Like yeah. I don't get, like if you told me, how is it easier to grow one that tastes real good? I don't know. Like if you told me to grow like a shitty strawberry, I wouldn't know where to begin. Yeah. I mean, anytime I've ever grown them, like growing up, I had them. I've had them in a couple of houses where we started strawberry patches. They always are good. They're the little tiny. So what, yeah. but like, what is it? How do you, why is it so hard to make a bad strawberry? And why are there so many bad <laughs> strawberries for sale? But I know you're saying, like, yeah. even things you can get in the store aren't yeah. as good. Tomatoes are the same way. Oh, man. Well, I mean, GMO, like you have, uh, I don't think like it's that. Arctic fish combined, like introduced to strawberries to make shelf life longer. That's gross. And it's, it's yeah. Oh, I mean, GMO being that you can do that to wind up having strawberries that live forever, right? Yeah. And taste like shit. And yeah. they're probably like you know, I've heard of they go, you know, they gas them, they do all kinds of things to make them turn red, and you know, who knows? You, know? you gotta oh, wonder if uh, hydroponic stuff has an effect, like not being oh, yeah, in yeah. the earth, not mm-hmm. pulling as and much like flavor, crop rotation. Like if they're just planting the same thing over and over and over and over and over again in that same soil, like how's it gonna taste good? Yeah, you know, I don't know. All the above, man. Yeah. God, strawberries taste good when you make them yourself, though. <laughs> Anything that you have in your own garden or you, like it's, you know, you pick a straw, like a tomato, like you said, and it's warm from the sun and then you cut that up and just put salt on it. It's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible, you know? So I think, you know, as a, as a chef, that search for the, the purest ingredients is really what led me to hunting and foraging and fishing. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Errands fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest errands store or visit errands.com to see what I'm talking about. 
Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. What do you do for fish in your restaurant? So we only sell wild fish, um, and it's only from uh, you know Canada. Um, and the, so we, you know, we're lucky. We have the Great Lakes. Uh, so there's perch, there's whitefish, um, you know, rainbow trout, and then um, you know the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, and the Arctic Ocean. So we have you know um, Arctic char, um, you know halibut, salmon, uh, rockfish, um, you know crabs. You guys will sell perch? Yeah. I love perch. What do you do with the perch? Uh, either fry it or, uh, you know, just, you know, two or three fillets for an order kind of thing. But I, li- I like, I like frying it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, spot prawns. I love spot prawns. They're incredible. Um, and what do you guys do with the venison you have in your restaurant? So we do a couple of different things with venison. We do, one's really fun. We put it in our burger, uh, meat. We do a mix of that though of, of, of wild boar, bison, and deer. Okay. Um, we do these venison patties, which are really cool. What do you put for fat in there? Um, so for the burger, it's the, it's the boar. The farmed boar is kind of fatty like pork. Got you. Um, the meat's still different. Like the meat's very dark. Um, but, uh, and then our kind of like a, it turned into a signature dish. We do, uh, we do venison two ways. So we do a stew with the neck and the shanks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we put that, we pair that with a steak from one of the primal cuts. Um, and then with that, the steak, we do an ash spice, which is this really kind of flavorful, um, sweet spice. Um, uh, we do cinnamon star anise, juniper, uh, and cloves. And then we toast those till they're super dark and black. Um, and then we grind those up and then put them through a, a, a sieve to get all the large chunks out and this really fine black powder. Um, and then we, so we, we hence roll the ash, hence the ash yeah. and we roll that, uh, you know, the steak in that and then, uh, just sear that nice and rare. So it's, it's cool when you cut it, it's got like a black line and then red. And then that goes on the stew, um, which is kind of neat. So, cause we're, we, like I said earlier, we, we buy whole deer. So we get all these off cuts. We have to figure out something to do with. What do you, what do you want to buy a whole deer from a deer farmer? <laughs> what is the cost he, of that? There, uh, I think it's like eight bucks a pound or yeah, he, he charges eight a pound. What? Um, when you're saying deer, are you saying red deer? We're buying red yeah. deer. So they're big. They're about, we're, you know, clean. Like our elk. A yeah. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're very similar in size. So we're, we're, we're getting those deer. They're anywhere from 120 to 150 pounds. And they'll charge you like eight bucks a pound for that. Yeah. We got to break it down. In- including the bones. Yeah. So it's, yeah, there is a lot of, and then we make stock with the bones and, you know, we don't waste anything. So we use every little scrap of it. It's really neat. Earlier we were talking about uh, we got on the subject of of uh, restrictions that you deal with in Canada, and we talked about uh, emerging gun laws. Like you're kind of vocal <laughs> about this, right? I'm very vocal about it because it's affecting me personally, and the gun laws aren't doing anything to help crime, which is which is a problem. Because that's the thing, like a thing that people are aware of. I think that like you know we talk about this sort of like 
perception of if you're in the U.S., you have a perception of what goes on. Yeah. People are aware, like, oh, Canada, you know, their gun laws. They suck. They're, they're but like, terrible. But what is it? So, like, what can you, let's say you just want to, let's say you're a Canadian citizen. Yeah. And you want to go out and just buy, uh, um, you want to buy a rifle. Yep. You want to buy a deer rifle. Go put a scope it. on it. Bolt yep. action rifle. Put a scope on it. Um, do they make that difficult? Yes, it's difficult. You have to do uh, a safety course, which I think is a good thing. Um, but after you do that safety course, you like my wife just waited seven or eight months to get her license in the mail, and it's only supposed to take forty five days. So there's like a forty five day mandatory waiting period. Which sure, maybe that's a good thing. You're pissed off. You just do your safety course. You have a grudge or something, and you have to wait. 45 days to go buy a gun. Maybe like you get so mad at someone. Yeah. You, you go down and take your safety course. I hope I'm mad for 45 <laughs> yeah. days. So like, I think <laughs> you got to write, you got to put a note on your fridge. Say yeah. mad at Bob. So I think, you know, there are some uh, common sense of like a safety course. Sure. That's a good thing. I think everyone that owns firearms should have to take a safety course. Um, Dude, that wouldn't fly here. No, but it, because the, what the problem is that once they pass those laws, like we don't have a right to own firearms in Canada. So I think that's the yeah, problem. Yeah, there's no, that, that's what you're saying. Like you wish that you had an equivalent of the second yeah, amendment. That's the problem because. So now, they never like codified anywhere. No. That to some extent you. No. So it's a privilege. There's no opening. There's no like a, there's no sort of foundational understanding. So no. in no situation can you roll down to the gun shop and walk away with one? No. Now, once you have your license your non-restricted license, you can. Okay. Um, like pistols and, and ARs, well, ARs have just been banned. So. Um, but walk, walk me through, because I've still, I want to get to that okay. bad, but walk me through the first, like. So, so to get a rifle, you have to do a safety course. It's does like that involve day. proficiency? No. Well, it, you have to handle some dummy firearms that have had the firing pins removed. Okay. So safety, you know, working the action, loading, unloading, you know, dummy bullets, all that and stuff. And how long does it take to do the class? It's a weekend course. Like two, so it's kind of like going to hunter safety, exactly. Um, and then they're like, "You are now a safe person," and yep. they they hand you, a, and, then, and then they mail you a thing. They mail you a thing, you know, eight months later. Is and that then, course like? Is it cover long guns and handguns, or is it specific so to that, a type? Or so that is specific to long guns. Okay. Um. So that's anything over eighteen inch barrel. I think is the eighteen and a half inch barrel. So that's, you know, your shotguns and uh, your bolt actions, mm -hmm. you know, brake actions, stuff like that. They just show you, they have the different styles of firearms on the table and they should, they teach you how to work them and, and unload them and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's a good thing. Um, but where, where the issue is, is now they've created all these new laws and they're taking away people's property that uh, aren't part of the problem of what's going on. So, we're, you know, we have, you know. You know, gang shootings in the cities and these people aren't following rules. They don't have licenses. They don't go into stores and buy guns. But that's the perception of people that don't own guns. Like when COVID hit, gun stores were actually posting that people are going to gun stores trying to buy a, a gun because they're worried about looting and, 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 and being unsafe. And then they get laughed at by the, the store owners that say you need a license. And they're like, what? You they know, weren't even no, aware. People aren't even aware. Like, it's just the perception that, oh, you know, to get a gun, you just go buy a gun in Canada. And that's not the case. So criminals, uh, they're not like, dude, I'm, I'm fixing to commit a crime, but I'm waiting for my... Yeah, waiting for my license. Yeah. So that's, that's where I take issue is because they've recently banned uh, over 1,500 different firearms in Canada. And criminals, they're not going and getting a license. They're not registering these guns. 
and they're committing committing the crimes, and it's it just sucks. And I, I'm personally been losing some some weapons that I've or firearms that I've hunting hunted with. Like you'll need to go down and hand them over. That they haven't worked out the details yet because this is so new. It happened on uh, March fifteenth, but that's uh, in two year. We have a two year amnesty where we can either hand them over or or they're going to grandfather them is what they've spoken about. But that's not. There's no details yet. How with you owning a restaurant? Is that is that your primary like livelihood? Is having, yes, your yeah. restaurant's your is primary it? livelihood. Yeah. Um, how tied in? Like, let me give you uh, McDonald's. I don't know the first thing about the CEO of McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know what he thinks about anything. Yeah. Okay. I think the most people. It's safe to say most people that go to McDonald's, um, will go there with no knowledge of what McDonald's stands for politically. Yeah. Uh, in fact, people will, when I was talking about getting an attack for various things, you know, we'll always hear from people on social media, like, I can't believe you would, you know, associate with such and such. Cause they're not a, this person, they're not pro gun enough. Yeah. I'd be like, well, who made your phone? Like yeah. you're typing this on a phone. Tell me about the CEO of the phone company that you're using. <laughs> Like, are they, do they, do they pass your muster? Right. <laughs> so do you find that people, um, do you find that people will suss out with your restaurant? Like, oh, here's a person who's vocal about gun rights and then reward or punish you. Or, or is it <laughs> like, or is your sort of social media self like very different from your restaurant self? I try, I definitely keep it separate but what you know is it risky for you to engage in cultural i think yes it is for sure and it's something that my 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 business partner is very concerned about so uh like he's like (laughs) ixnay on the uns gay yes (laughs) (laughs) we had several chats um so yeah like you know i try you know the opinions expressed are my own like that's on my twitter (laughs) so it has nothing to do with the business because there's, there's there's a lot of other people at the business that run the business you know and it's not it's not fair to punish them because uh, you know, I'm, I'm in Canada pro gun, let's say, but, um, you know, but the big problem is, is our judicial system and they're not punishing these criminals that are committing these crimes. Like someone's caught with a gun in there. So let's talk about restricted guns. So that's pistols and, and, and semi-automatics with a shorter barrel. Uh-huh. So in Canada, for me to transport my pistol or for, for me to use my pistol, I have to have a separate license, which is called a non-restricted gun license. And then the only place I can shoot that pistol is at a gun range. And then if I want to transport that pistol, I have to have a trigger lock on it and then in a locked case. So it's double locked and the ammunition is separate. That's our laws for pistols. So we have people walking around the streets of Toronto with pistols in their pockets that aren't double locked and loaded and they get arrested and they make bail and they're out on the street in two days or 24 hours. They're on bail walking around again. That's what I think frustrates a lot of people about when you get into the gun control debate is it seems that the same um the, the the same sort of political persuasion that would favor restrictions on firearms not seems this is like this is like generally true yeah. the, the, an individual inclined toward restricting access to firearms probably not even probably like is inclined toward not punishing crime as as 
Yeah, they'd be like, I want to make more things illegal, but do less shit to people who do illegal things. <laughs> it's unfortunate. And the other thing is unfortunate is, you know, I have these views about guns because I'm a hunter and I use guns. But so then I'm, I'm, I'm like a far right extremist all of a sudden. Like my wife got chewed out at like a family party by like one of someone's neighbor. Oh, your husband is, he's so right wing all of a sudden. And it's like, I'm not necessarily right wing. I have some right wing views. I have some left views as well. Like I'm. That's I too can, confusing. It's too confusing yeah, for people. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty middle road with a lot of stuff. And, um, yeah. And it's just funny because, because I'm a hunter and because I, uh, I have these views about guns. Now I'm this right wing extremist all of a sudden. And I'm like, well, it's not really true. Not true at all. Well, as far as save a pig goes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just, they, they'd it's put weird. Your... Yeah. It's, I know it is a little bit painful like that and it's, it's winds up being a thing. I don't think it's going away. No. Anytime soon, this idea that um, there's all these litmus, there's like these litmus tests, and depending on a person's sensibility, they they all have varying litmus tests. But they'll take like your stance on X, and then extrapolate out from there to make a bunch of judgments about how you feel about a ton of things. Yeah, and different people use different litmus tests. You know, you could ask someone a question, like you could ask someone a policy, you know, like a policy question. Your answer to the policy question um, would then indicate, uh, you know, that you're a racist or not a racist. But, you're like, but hold on, I thought we were talking about a, like a specific policy question. Yeah. Or that like, how do you feel about firearms? If you're like, if you like sort of look at the legal structure and you're uncomfortable with restrictions on firearms, that they want to then sort of like neutralize your voice by painting you into some kind of like radical element where nothing you say can be trusted because you're radicalized. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate the degree to which that's starting to happen. I'm sure it's always happened a bit, but it seems to be happening more and more and more now. It's like the divide where is you growing. become, yeah, you become, it's more likely to be that you'll, you be crucified for some, um, portion of what you think. Yeah. But crucified on a wide scale level. Oh, like, made to, yeah, made to pay in a lot of, yeah. like made to pay in a wide way. Yeah. I find myself running the other direction of it, man, and trying to be more, um, uh, even things that I'm like personally, that I feel really strongly about, um, you know, land issues and, and conservation issues and habitat issues, right? Uh, even when I hear someone that would, that would say something that violates my like deeply held feelings about it. And I'd be like, I would normally think like, that's a, what you just said is evil. I will now assume that you're evil and everything about you is evil. <laughs> I now I'm like, hold on a minute, man. Don't do to this guy what you would hate to have done with to you. <laughs> that's a good point. You know, and they'll say, ah, I think the government should give all that land up. No one should ever go on it ever again. I'm like, all right, man, you know, you're probably a good guy. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk for a minute about that and not commit the same thing that I hate. Yeah. That's a good point. That's very mature. Well, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard I'm to halfway be. to 90. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that I eventually got to a point where I would like try to attempt to engage with people in a debate the way yeah. that I would like them to approach me. It's hard to be a nuanced thinker. I think, you know, it's, it, you know, it's like, 
Well, it's not encouraged politically. Oh, oh definitely anymore, right? not at all. It's but one it's, or the other. You know, do I do I judge you to be on my side or not? Are you a threat to me or are you safe for me? Based upon whatever my yeah. own individual calculus is of that, and uh, I think that really undermines all of us. I just got a uh, a friend of mine emailed me an article late last night. It's in the it's in the papers now. That the Museum of Natural History in New York was like, oh, you know, we're, we're taking down our Theodore Roosevelt statue. And the statue in question is like Theodore Roosevelt. He's like up on a horse, sort of, you know, it's like very virile, conquering horse thing. And to sort of behind him walking is a Native American on one side. And I don't know if it's an, I shouldn't say an African-American, someone of African descent. On his other side, kind of walking, walking behind him while he's up on this horse. And you look at it sort of like he's I don't know, leading the charge. I whatever the hell. Leading the charge. I look at it in my initial, like I, I go through all these things where I look at it, I'm like, and I was pissed, right? At first, because I'm because I'm thinking, well, how now are we gonna now are we gonna throw out the father of American conservation? You know, are we done with that now? Like the he was so contextually. He was so ahead of his time that most politicians haven't caught up with the guy 120 years later. Like a real controversial putting his neck out for wilderness and wildlife. And so then I'm like, are they really going to piss that away? But then, like, read the article, which is not what I initially, I didn't read it until the next, I got all mad. (laughs) Then the next day, read the article, it turns out, they're going in and naming in the museum. They're actually naming extra shit <laughs> after Roosevelt. They're doubling down on Roosevelt. They're just saying this particular statue is problematic. Like this depiction is problematic. Do we think that the man is problematic? No. In fact, we're going to go name more shit after him. His father was like a founding member. Member. He has this like great history, but... You got to get down to the bottom of the article to get there. But I was already too pissed. Yeah. <laughs> because the headline. Right. But Roosevelt also has some things you got to question, too. Things that, viewpoints that he held, you know? Yes, so is Abe Lincoln. Well, I get that. I'm just saying. You're like, never, you're never, Brody, you're never going to kill them all. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm not saying we, I, that's not my goal. I'm saying that people are just more aware of sure that but type that, of thing. Uh, this is way beyond the scope of what we talk about on this year's show. <laughs> yeah, we can go back to <laughs> no, food. Real quick. I want to go back to food. I want to go back to food. But real quick, man, um, I, I'm going to choose my words carefully here. I get very uneasy around um, applying a modern lens in all cases to people who to individuals who, especially individuals who at the time were beginning to poke holes in and question the thing that they're now being condemned for. And And the positioning in front of the Natural History Museum, the Natural History Museum isn't called the, 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 the Colonialism Museum. No. It's about a commitment to a conservation. Thing. Yeah. I feel... Like if I was at, if I was involved in that debate, I'd be like, oh, I don't give a shit. Take that one down. 
let's put up a different one of the same person there. Right. Like it's, it's not, it's not, I, I don't care about like this particular, you know what? That statue, I don't know if you caught this, Corinne, that was made by the guy who carved the Buffalo head nickel. Oh no, I didn't. I was James Fraser. Okay. He did the Buffalo head nickel off a Buffalo in a, in a, in a, um, a Buffalo in a zoo in New York. People were real disappointed with his nickel. But he, um, yeah, it's kind of like he thought that everybody thought it was like a shitty looking, morose looking <laughs> buffalo. But um, yeah, same sculpture that did this this Roosevelt statue in question. It's like I, I don't, maybe I'm naive or whatever, or I'm like juvenile, but I don't I, like I need certain. I, I think that like certain heroes are helpful to have. Sure, I sit on the board of the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, which puts it puts its ass on the line all the time, you know for wildlife and habitat so now is it like uh are they bad no and i i don't think i was ever saying that. i don't think you were I'm either saying i'm not talking just, to you i'm talking to like the air like, behind you there, there's you know optics that are being exposed these days that people are questioning you know here's yeah. here's part of a press release um so while the statue is meant to celebrate roosevelt as a quote, devoted naturalist and author of works on natural history, the statue also, quote, communicates a racial hierarchy that the museum and members of the public have long found disturbing. So I understand how folks who disagree uh, see the Native American and African man flanking Roosevelt as um, like modeled in a position that's subordinate to him. And I can also understand how folks might see them as proxies for people of color today. Um you know, symbols can be very powerful. Um, you know, like the if we look at the origin of the word monument, it literally means calling to mind, like something something that reminds. So I recently heard this um, interview on NPR with a historian who was addressing Confederate statues, and he offered up what I thought to be a unique idea um, in addressing them. And he was saying that he thought the statues should stay where they are but come with, um, I think his wording was, come with a footnote of epic proportions. Um, So what I took that to mean was that there was some kind of an additive process. So you'd keep the statues where they are um, and either with a placard or, you know, you can take a lot of artistic license in representing something additive to the statue to, to put it in context. Um, and to kind of address its place in time um, as we see it today. Yeah. Or here's another fix. Have someone make his compatriots on bigger horses. Honor honor them. With pe- put them on <laughs> Pegasus, like winged horses that are way bigger than Roosevelt's horse. I don't care. I'm just a reluctant to uh, the number of the amount of people who've been inspired by him and what he did, the amount of people that have been inspired to engage in the environmental battle and to engage in wildlife conservation have been inspired by the image. Watch the, how, how much damage are you like, how much damage are you inflicting to, to people's understanding? I'm not the guy to make up these. I'm not, I'm not the guy to like to, to answer well, these questions. Like we were ta- what we were talking about earlier, you know, it's like picking one issue. Like you can't, Whatever the guy was like, he was still a great conservationist, right? Like, that's a fact. 
Yeah, but man, beware the teeter-totter. No, that's not the word I'm looking for. What's it called when something swings and comes back? The pendulum. pendulum. Beware the pendulum. <laughs> uh, you're going to move away? You were talking about moving away from where you live now. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to consult my wife with that one, but uh, it's it's hard because Is I it just feel- just too hot in Toronto? I mean, hot, like politically hot. It's it's getting a little politically hot. Uh, you know, we do have our sights on on BC where where she's from. Um, it's it's a, a mecca for hunting and foraging and fishing out there. Uh, I have lots of friends there, and and you know, it, it is a dream to uh, to open a restaurant there one day, for sure. If you factor in the trouble with the vegan protesters, the animal rights protesters, issues around firearms and stuff that you might get in trouble. Uh, for do you find that it's generally been advantageous to be to self-identify as a hunter and to be vocal about that from a business standpoint, or do you feel like you would have especially kicked ass if you hadn't been so vocal? <laughs> I don't know. Like I've, uh, I think I was just raised uh, to you know be yourself, and I, I just like I, I cook what I want to cook, uh, I say what I want to say, um, you know, and I. I you know, in terms of food, I just hope people enjoy it. And, you know, your customers are, are the critics, um, you know, with, with food. Um, but, but my voice, you know, I, I do my best to try and keep it separate from the business as, as much as I can. Um, but, you know, we, we do get a lot of hunters that come uh, to talk to us about hunting. And we get a lot of guys that come and say, you know, I've never had a deer steak taste this good. You know, you got to give me the recipe for the spice or whatever. Or, um, yeah, that's cool. You know, it, it's really, like, hunters will come and bring me hats from like their Ducks Unlimited chapter or whatever it is. And it's, it's cool. You know, we, get a, we certainly get a connection with a group of people we may not have had a connection with if there wasn't the hunting aspect to the business. Who came up with the idea to call it Antler? Um, that was a group decision. So we, there was originally, there was supposed to be three partners. One ended up backing out because they were having a baby and I didn't want to risk it. Um, uh, but my, my business partner, Jody Shapiro and I, and another friend, we had a, you know, big whiteboard and 300 names on there and oh, okay. we were just, you know, picking and choosing and, and. Did you guys ever consider like big, huge antler? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, I forget some of the earlier names. We've actually got some photos of the names. Like there's, but there were some funny ones. Um, but antler was supposed to just represent also like a shed antler on the ground. Yeah. And yeah. we actually have one on the restaurant wall when you walk in that was from- Yeah, uh, if it was from, antlers, it'd be different. Yeah, it's just from Jody's Cottage. Well, and there is a place called Antlers in the UP. I've, I've researched and found do you that. Have <laughs> a, uh, do you have a bunch of uh, like mounts and stuff? Or is it like there's, a hunt lodge there's only feel? One. Or? There's only one. So we didn't want it to be like super hunting lodge. We just yeah. wanted it to be like cabin in the woods yeah. feel. So there is a, there's my first buck- Euro mount that I did myself on the wall above the chef's table. And then there's the single antler when you walk in. Um, we, we have a couple more new additions. There's a black duck now. My friend uh, shot, he was moving and he was like, here, take this. <laughs> I, get, I don't want to move it. Um, so we have his, it's this beautiful black duck mount um, on the bar, above the bar. And then uh, what else? There's a couple like some pheasant feathers, I think, tail feathers coming out of a vase somewhere. But it's not, it's not like super in yeah. your face. Yeah. We shoot things. How much does it cost? Uh, you probably know this in U.S. dollars. Like, what's the cost to go eat in your restaurant? Uh, it varies. So, like, we have a burger that's you know eighteen bucks or something. Like, yeah. it's it's not uh, you know it's it depends what you want. Like, you can have uh, uh, you know a burger and a beer and leave for you know under thirty bucks if you want. Uh, our buys and ribeye, those things are a bit more pricey. I think that's like forty five bucks. 
Um, just because like, the game stuff is also a bit more expensive than the run, run of the mill um, or even like nice beef. Uh, our, our, the bison's always more. Yeah. More money just for me to even buy it. So. Do you feel like your restaurant is also a place where people come in and ask you questions about game and hunting and totally. learn a thing uh, or two? Yeah, you know, it's like we a, hear a lot of uh, uh, people eating game for the first time. Like we had chicken on the menu when we first opened, like just in case someone on the date didn't want to eat case. deer, you know, and we just end up eating it all the time. So before it went bad, because no one ordered it, you know, people were coming to try new things. Um, and then we have a lot of fish too. So people aren't into red meat or game. They, they have fish. So. Um, and that's something I love and I, we joke around it all the time. I wish I could sell more fish. And then I was like, you know, hurting on the service one day being like, you know, guys, why can't you sell the fish? And they're like, I don't know, dude, you named your restaurant Antler. Like, can't help you, man. Like, <laughs> so we have a couple fish dishes, but I would love to do more. Uh, but it's just not what people are coming for. Do you guys do any like butchering classes or anything like we, that? We're too small. Of, like I would yeah. love to. People do ask me all the time. Um, and it's like I, I also have two kids and and my wife and it's it's you know I, it's hard now finding that balance between you know being a chef and having a family. Yeah, do you ever get So you any... have a second kid after the one that you have when you're 19 or two more? Uh, no, I have two kids. So but yeah, so my son was just born 6 years later. So there's 6 oh. years between them, yeah. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. when do you get uh, time to hunt and fish on your own? So now, just because we we wanted to, we opened the restaurant and it really, we stopped working on the book. So we thought, okay, we'll have the restaurant, it'll be like a playground to shoot the book. And that was totally not the case at so all. So the book is real front and center through all this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and, and you know, we, we had to hire more staff. We thought, okay, we're going to get this book done. And then we hired, it's called like a chef de cuisine, like a head chef to yeah. run the place. So now he he's really in charge of the menu. Um you know, he, he, there's a couple things that are kind of signatures that don't leave, but, um, for the most part, it's, you know, it's his menu. He'll, he'll come to us with new dishes and, and, you know, sometimes I'm a part of them. Sometimes I'm not. Um, and that, that was really, uh, a, for, for us to be able to finish the book, but also I get to spend more time with my family now and, uh, and focus. So there's other things, you know, I'm, I'm working with some outdoor brands now, um, some hunting companies, stuff like that, which, which I love. And, and I just think like the older I'm getting, the more time I want to spend outside. And it's, it's a really hard struggle for me. Because yeah, you I realize love, your time outside is running out at a certain point. I miss point. it. And I get <laughs> I get edgy if I don't go into nature once a week or something. Like I'm just um, – and, you know, I want to pass this on to my kids now. And I want – it's really important for me to teach them about hunting and fishing. And, and now I'm bringing them out into the field more. My, my daughter has her licenses. Uh, you know, my son is itching to get his hunting license when he's 12. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. Do you uh, do you want your kids to go into to be in chefs and go into restaurant business, or do you advise against doing that? No, it's it's whatever makes them happy, right? Like if if they want to take on the business or or get involved, uh, you know that's great. If they don't, I totally support whatever they want to do, um, because it's a tough business. It's really tough, and it's uh, it's backwards. You know, you're working when everyone else is off, so it's 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 tough to have a family. It's tough to see your friends. Um, you know, because it's sort of the backwards industry, there's a lot of drugs and alcohol abuse and stuff like that in, within the industry. And it's, uh, it's a tough one. And it's the, the, re- the financial reward for the amount of hours you put in, uh, doesn't pay off for a very long time. Um, 
you know, people see chefs on TV and they're making tons of money. And it's like, yeah, well, they're, they're also been chefs for their entire lives, you know, and you're, as an apprentice, you make minimum wage at best and you can't make a living off of that, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's like, I didn't start making a decent paycheck. I think it was like a 10 year mark for me where I made absolute shit for a long time. And then, you know, after 10 or 15 years in the business, I actually got like a decent paycheck. and was like, wow, like I'm actually, I'm getting, it was my first head chef job and it was like, whoa. That's similar to being a writer. Yeah. You you know, a lot of people, you got, you stick with it for a decade. Yeah. Before it turns into anything. Yeah. Like if he, you're good. Yeah. A lot of people stick with it a decade, never, but yeah. very few people launch. It's like, it's a long commitment, man. Right. It seems like that's common in the food world. Anything yeah. that touches on art. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, exactly. Art. It's like, a, it's a total artist's type of, of lifestyle. So it's, uh, it's tough. And yeah, so I, I support my kids in whatever they want to do. My, my daughter's, uh, I think she's taking an interest in environmental sciences and, 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 or political, yeah, no environmental stuff. And she's looking at a university where, um, they, they have a strong like environmental program. So. Well, man, I hope the vegans leave you alone. <laughs> Thank Sons you. Sons of bitches. I got to <laughs> ask before you go, I got to ask about that. You ever notice that Steve? I was, I was noticing it looked like turkey feathers. Yeah, so I got a turkey wing. Uh, what are we looking at? I got deer in my antler. That's uh, the coolest uh, tattoo I've ever seen. Thanks, man. Hold on. Hold <laughs> on. Let me get a better look. I knew it was turkeys. So that's a turkey wing. Oh, you did the whole wing. And then my wedding band has antler in it, which is neat. And then uh, I got the first buck I shot and tattooed on my neck. Oh, I got mine on a water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't the first one I got. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> well, I'll lose that bottle. You're not going to lose that. that. Let me see that buck again. So it's actually funny. It's like a seven-pointer and the antlers broke. So it's kind of funny. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. Does your wife like that? I think she does, yeah. Did you ask her? Uh, yeah, I think she likes it, yeah. I had it before I met her, so. She had no say. She had no say, yeah. I wonder what she's, I wish I, she was here so we could get her, <laughs> Next get time. Way in I love, like, I flew in and I, this, this, this state's beautiful. So I, I'm definitely going to have to come back with her and spend more time, so. Yeah. Next time. She's really, she's into the outdoor lifestyle. So good. So she'd get along with everybody here. Good. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that people leave your restaurant alone. (laughs) Well, unless it's good for business. I don't know. Well, you know, maybe they should come back. Head on back over to Antler and protest. (laughs) They have left us alone. But you know what? The the funny thing was, we were getting vegans coming in for dinner to support us because they said they they didn't want. (laughs) Because <laughs> we have vegan stuff on the menu, like it was, it was just so bizarre. Yeah, you know, like, like we, I feel like you should that should be applauded. Yeah, we welcome everybody, and that's, that's something else I want to say. Like, you know, whether you eat kosher or halal or vegan, like whatever you eat, like you're welcome. And that that's what was so bizarre for us was we didn't understand why they singled us out. But yeah, I'm glad you survived. Thank you for having me. That's thank, how I took note of you. And those old ass news <laughs> now, but that's when I was like, wow, that's thank interesting. You. And thank you for your you know your quote in the back of the book. Oh, yeah. If nothing else, buy the new book. Tell people the name of the book. We haven't done that. The book is The Hunter Chef. Um, Tell people to buy buy the book just to read my blurb. Yeah. Steve (laughs) Rinella in the back. Never mind those 100 100 recipes. Yeah, and that's so October 6th coming out, but the pre-sale link is uh, I'm going to go up thehunterchef.com June 29th. Are there way better blurbs than mine? Uh, No, I was was very honored by what you wrote, so thank you very much, yeah. It was very touching. Is, is it going to make, are you going to put the, my blurb on the outside or the inside of the book? I don't have any say where it's <laughs> like I find goes. when they bump you off yeah. the cover, it's not I, good. From what I saw. When your blurb gets like bumped. From what whew. I saw, you're actually, I think your quote's on the back cover, like on the outside. That's of the where I want it to be. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Because if they put it on the inside, then you're like, eh, something went wrong. <laughs>
Someone wasn't happy. Yeah. So thank you very much. And it goes on sale? Goes on sale June 29th, thehunterchef.com. There's a pre-sale link, there, you know, Amazon. Um, oh, June 29th. June 29th, the pre-sale link goes up. Yeah. Oh, the pre, okay. But the book ships. Link. The book ships October 6th is the main release date. The Hunter Chef. Just it's in time for book. hunting season. Just in time for hunting season. You got to send me a bound one. Okay. I had the one uh, unbound. I think you got a digital copy. No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. I did. I didn't yeah, like it. They okay. sent me an unbound one. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's no, just we'll too hard for me no, to no. picture. I need to like, I'm not, I'm not yeah, like we'll creative get, enough. Yeah. I'm not imaginative yeah. enough to, to. Oh, you got a bunch of loose pages. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't yeah, no. You'll look. get the actual book. When people want to send digital, I, like I have to, like I, I have to. I don't like reading on uh, You need to like hold like, it. Yeah. I, need, I, need I can enjoy it, but I can't like really. I got to just, I, I, for one, something like that to like give a quote for the book, I was like, I just need to see the damn book Yeah, or like kind of like a version of the book. It can't be just me scrolling through PDF files. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. I don't it like, make I don't me like feel like I'm there, man. E-Kindle stuff. Yeah. So that's weird. Anything else, Brody? Nah, I'm good. Phil? Thanks for coming. Phil didn't say it. nothing. Phil got a, got his hair cut though. He did. I like him a lot better. <laughs> Speak softly and uh, carry a big stick. Yeah. Yes, Teddy. Old Teddy. Bring it back. (laughs) All right. Thanks, ma'am. Thank you. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.